loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Lisa Schultz. Lisa's an award-winning author. In 2015, Lisa's father died at the age of 89. Following his death, she felt unsettled and incomplete. The experience had, had been fraught with unnecessary suffering for all involved. After much research and soul-searching, her latest book emerged. <clears throat> with a chance to say goodbye, reflections on Lisa losing a parent, Lisa's goal is to support others who face losing a parent and to facilitate healing for those who've already lost one. Her book received a star review from Blue Ink Review, quote, part tribute, part memoir, part guide, a chance to say goodbye succeeds on all counts with lyrical writing and thorough research. And in recounting her father's story, Schultz enables readers to share in her loss. And she offers a wealth of practical advice on everything from writing an obituary to clearing out a house. Thought-provoking and absorbing a chance to say goodbye has much to offer readers willing to confront the challenging subject of end of life. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you, Cheryl. It's good to have you here. And that does, uh, that review does fit the book I read where um, you started really for the first half of the book, uh, letting us get to know your father and, and your relationship with your father. Um, I felt like I knew him pretty well by the part of the book where you were dealing more directly with how to confront end of life. Was that intentional? Yes, I wanted to give my readers a sense of the man that I was spending so much time researching and discussing, and I wanted to bring his life to, you know, the forefront and and, his, and honor him at the same time that I was discussing his loss. I thought I thought that was a, a evocative way to do it, though, because. Um, one thing I find, you know, working in end of life and illness is that people get, uh, especially old people, I find, get very severely dehumanized. And so uh, I appreciated knowing who he was bef- while I was learning how he died, um, that uh, he, he remained a person to me throughout. I'm glad to hear that. <clears throat> so... Um, why don't you just share with listeners a little bit about your dad so they can have the same experience in miniature. Um, uh, you, you mentioned in, uh, or I mentioned in the biography that he was 89 at his death, but can you tell us a little bit about his life? Sure, I would be happy to. He was a remarkable man, very charismatic and successful and really um, an amazing person in my life. He was one of the greatest generation. Uh, he was fought in World War II. He was on the USS Missouri battleship fighting in the Pacific. And I had the 
the honor and the good fortune to be able to return to his battleship with him during his life because they uh, anchored that ship in Honolulu um, so it, and made it a museum. And I had the opportunity to go with him several times um, to take a tour of the ship and learn about that part of his life. And in World War II, I learned a lot about that. When he returned I, from I've been from there the myself. Lisa. Oh, you I, have. Yes, you see, I have. Did you tour um, the ship? Yes, I did. Uh, so I was thinking about that as I was reading, you know, to to feel that connection to him as someone who was actually there it, during, at the surrender, which happened on that, at, uh, the, the Japanese surrender after the war, which happened on that ship. Uh, yeah, I, I could picture the whole, the whole thing because I had, I had been there. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. And, you know, after the war, he came back, as, as most of the veterans did, and, and dove into creating a family and establishing business and working very hard, and, and he did that. And I was the youngest of four children that he had with my mom, and, um, you know, that my mom was devoted to raising family, and he was devoted to his career. He was in the insurance business initially, and then he sort of had a second career, and uh, retired, but he didn't really fully retire, into cattle and ranching and sort of became a cowboy. And so he had two very different parts of his life, and I you know, got to observe and experience a little bit of both of those. And so he was a very interesting um, man with lots of varied interests that, uh, you know, he had collections of cowboy and American Indian paraphernalia and was just a great historian and a fascinating man. The other thing I surmised was that he was, he would have had by the time he, you know, reach to reach the point of decline, um, probably a great confidence in, in being able to, you know, remake his life and uh, be very dynamic, uh, which is often kind of the opposite of the process of decline. Uh, I mean, it's, it's dynamic, but not in that way. Uh, do you think that made it especially hard for him to, to um, experience the last part of his life? Yeah, his, his decline in aging was really hard for him to accept, and he was quite stubborn, and it was just almost a blow to his ego that he couldn't be successful in the ways that he had before, or be, be as active, and he had a hard time getting his mind around um, his decline, and it was just really difficult for him when he became increasingly weak and disabled in the end. He also didn't seem to me like a person who was particularly good at at um, uh, depending on the wisdom of others. I guess I would say that you know everyone is in his life was saying he lived too far out on the ranch, and you know that he he didn't really wasn't eventually in a situation that was really meeting his needs, but he he kind of resisted you all, would you say? Yes, he definitely resisted. He, you know, he wanted to remain at home even when it wasn't safe to do so. He wanted to remain at home even though he was far out in the country and home health agencies and such. Some of them didn't go out that far. It was very difficult for his friends and family 
to get there, and no one was close by, like a neighbor. It was just, you know, he wasn't able to um, adapt and want, and be open, I guess, minded to perhaps changing his living situation or reevaluating whether that was a place that he could actually age in place and mm. um, continue to decline. You know, I see this so, so often, and I <clears throat> it's led to um, <clears throat> a kind of constant prayer for myself that I, I know when it's time to change things. Uh, it's it's so hard to catch that moment when really it's time, isn't it? Um, and then he might have had a particular amount of resistance ha- having made so many independent decisions all his life. <clears throat> yes, and he and to and to give him a little bit of a you know. I guess, acknowledgement, he did live in a very beautiful place, and he had a gorgeous view. The cover of my book, A Chance to Say Goodbye, is actually the view that he saw out his dining room window, and I know that it was important to him to be able to see that beauty and the landscape and to see Pike's Peak in the distance and so forth, but he, he wasn't able to really fully realize how his decisions were affecting his family uh, and how challenging it was becoming for everyone and worrisome um, to, you know, care for him as he declined further. Speaking of which, I think I did the math on on what was going on with you before he finally did, uh, you know, reach the nursing home stage of the story. Am I? Did I have it right that you were going to to his place three hours away from your home, three times a week? Not I would once a week. I would drive. Yes, it was about a three hour drive. I live in the mountains of Colorado, and he lived south of Denver, and so I committed to visiting him every week. Um, and then as it. Uh, as he progressed, I had to spend more days of the week with him. So, um, so you drive and stay him, for a few days and then go back home. So right. quite, dis- what used to be quite a, disruptive a to one- whatever was going on in your life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, originally it was one day a week of a visit, and then it usually, and then it grew to two days a week and three days a week. And so it was, it was a big change in, in how I was able to do my own things and carry on with my own life. Uh, I think it might be a good moment since we're since we've kind of reached uh, talking about more the the uh, end of his life. If you could share that little section of your of your book about sudden and gradual loss. Yes, I'd be happy to. I can read an excerpt about that. There are two types of loss, sudden and gradual. Sometimes gradual aging, aging provides time to adapt due to so many little losses along the way. Sometimes surviving into old age gives one a chance to grieve before death so that the end comes as almost a relief. And sometimes a gradual death gives one a chance to say goodbye. I say sometimes because it's not always a guarantee that living to an advanced age or dying gradually will give one any of those opportunities or that an individual will take advantage of such opportunities. In a way, my dad had both a gradual and a sudden death combined. 
The family was not called to sit with him in his last days or hours. He died alone, speaking to a nurse within an hour of his death. I expected death, but not on that morning. And because I didn't see his death coming when it did, I planned to see him the following day. So his his death felt unexpected. Since my dad did not know or would not openly admit that he was dying, we missed the chance for those conversations that included a final I love you and goodbye. I was thinking a lot as I was reading many parts of the book about, um, of course, how hard it is when the timing is off in that kind of way. And, of course, we don't have any way to know whether maybe your dad would prefer to have died by himself. Um, we can't don't we can't really know that, can we? But um, still very hard on you. And I was I was thinking of all the times that I've worked with with clients and um, in my work with cancer, where um, you there's no way to know when it's coming until it has come. Do you do you feel as if uh, someone could have named that as the time and? called you in or was it sort of at the time one more thing he was going through it was a confusing time and i i didn't know i didn't have experience with end of life with anyone else so i was kind of reading about the whole subject even though i had done some reading and researching i really didn't know that all of the stages and he wasn't in hospice so there wasn't some of that education and maybe support that 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 uh, group and those and and the hospice personnel know so I i didn't you know have some of that knowledge and so i was unprepared in many ways i sensed it that I didn't really know. And then he would have, like the night before he passed away, my sister was visiting him and he had a surge of energy and he went down to the dining room and was talkative and everything was going well. My sister called me that night and just said that he had a fantastic evening. So I was confused because later I found out, you know, that was sort of a surge right before the end, but... Not unusual, but also you can't tell. It could be also, in his case, he was recovering from something. Um, as I as I remember it, he, he had had a gallbladder surgery. So I can well imagine that you would think, oh, he's finally starting to feel better. Um, as opposed to, oh, this is, you know, a sign of, of uh, his being on the way to death. Right. It just, it wasn't clear to me at that time. I mean, we can, I can go back and look at it and say, oh, I, I kind of seen this or that or known more about, you know, how the end of, you know, the last few days often plays out. I may have come earlier to see him, but it just, it wasn't, it wasn't clear to me. And I'm not sure that I'm, I'm thinking of my, my mother. She had pancreas, she died of pancreatic cancer. And she did have hospice, and excellent hospice. And on the day she died, I said, I think it's going to be today. And her hospice workers said, uh, they asked me why, and I indicated why I thought so. And um, they acknowledged that those were signs, but they said, we think it's going to be about a week. So even professionals don't always know, uh, (laughs) can't always gauge. Uh, That really taught me a lot, you know, that... um, 
in that case, I just so happened to be right is how I think of it. You know, I could have been absolutely wrong. Yes, and you know, um, people can be quite resilient, and sometimes they're not ready um, for some reason, and so, you know, they they hang on a little longer for a certain person or something to happen, and in other cases, as you mentioned earlier, I think sometimes they maybe make a choice that they would like to die alone, and that is, you know, perhaps they feel like, I, I kind of wonder if my dad was kind of sparing his his immediate family from in his mind, seeing him die, that maybe he thought that would be too difficult for them. I don't know, of course, but I surmise that, you know, maybe he made the choice to die alone. Possible, but it seemed to me, uh, reading the book, that that would not have been your preference, that you would have very much liked to be there. What, uh, yes? Well, yes and no. I would have I, I think that the hardest part was with my dad was the fact that the last time I saw him, we had a really difficult conversation and it, 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 the, the visit went really badly and mm. he was angry and he was frustrated and, and, um, it was, it was a really negative encounter. And so I was looking forward to returning a few days later to just sort of repair or feel better in with him and just hold his hand and just have a different experience. I didn't yeah. have that chance to do that. Yes. I hear you. Yeah, I can I can imagine that um uh just that sense of uh wanting the the um sweet connected goodbye. Um, and, you know, we're getting ready for our first break, but I'm interested when we come back to talk about uh, whether or how you feel that might have influenced grief for you, because those final experiences with someone sometimes do influence how we feel at first in grief, uh, at the very least. So let's talk about that when we get back. Uh, listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. And you can find a link to buy my novel, An Ocean Between, you, between Them, there also. Uh, you can find Lisa Schultz at Lisa J. Schultz, that, that's S-H-U-L-T-Z dot com. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Have you stopped to think seriously about hypnosis? Hypnosis can set you on your way to better health, can free you from anxiety, phobias, and so much more. Join host Inez Simpson for Hypnosis Everywhere. Inez Simpson and the Simpson Protocol. This show is for anyone from the experienced hypnotist practitioner to the merely curious. Inez Simpson offers tools and insights from the whole world of hypnosis with guests and open discussions. Hypnosis Everywhere, the Simpson Protocol, airs live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. 
What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Lisa Schultz, author of A Chance to Say Goodbye. And we had just, be- I, I, I mentioned I want to talk about how you believe um, your grief might have been influenced by what you just described. Because I, I do find often the final moments we have with someone or kind of how that goes uh, does linger with people for quite a long time. Uh, it, within grief, there's the whole, the, the whole big grief, but regret about those moments seems to really dominate for some people at the start, at least. Yes, I definitely had regret that I couldn't have my last encounter with my dad to be more loving, and that was really hard for me to swallow for a while. And I had to work really hard to kind of forgive myself, forgive him, and 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 bring myself to a place of peace. I, you know, I did a lot of reading and, you know, bought some books and so forth. But I also had a, a really wonderful dream um, in the month after my dad died that, that helped me sort of mend the um, our last difficult encounter. And the dream was about that um, he came to me and I saw him in sort of an hospital setting and he was getting dressed and the gentleman was helping him put on his favorite orange corduroy um, jacket and, and he looked great. And then he gave me a big, warm hug, and it felt very real to me, and I felt like that dream was maybe 
his way or just my mind's way or some combination of, of those to help me feel that he he would have liked to have given me that hug in person, but he gave it to me in a dream, and I accepted that, and I really felt a lot more peace with myself and the, the circumstances after that dream. So I was very grateful for it. Absolutely. And those kinds of dreams that feel as if uh, you're awake, I guess, <laughs> you know, feel as if yeah. they are not dreams at all. That That's so, uh, I, I actually interviewed someone who studies grief dreams. That's his career. He's gotten a PhD in grief dreaming. And that's just such a common thing that people describe. I didn't feel like I was asleep. Exactly. The, the, the hug was as real as real could be. I've, I've rarely had that sort of a, uh, experience, but it, it was very healing. So, um, I, I'm going to have you share this little bit about uh, how the loss of your dad triggered other losses. And I'm also aware, because we've talked about it previously, that you are um, in the midst of caring for your mom, who is, who's, who's I, we could say, declining in the process of dying now. And so um, I'm interested in both those things, both uh, how losses bring up other losses and how previous losses inform the way we handle uh, things going forward. Uh, let's share that little bit and then and then talk about that some more. Yes, I, I found that my dad's death did trigger other loss. And I have a, a quote I can read from the book that sort of talks about that. That would be great. I found that the loss of my dad triggered the memory of another loss in my past. I lost my dad in death, but years earlier, I'd lost my husband in divorce. There were parallels in the two losses. My dad's health declined gradually and my marriage failed slowly. My dad died unexpectedly, and my husband told me about his plans to divorce suddenly. Both men were important male figures in my life, and I found myself thinking more and more about the loss of my marriage after my dad died. I had to discern whether I needed additional closure from my divorce or if the loss of my dad just touched the same nerve. Hmm. Well, what did you conclude really about that? <laughs> I think, you know, both my my father and my my ex-husband were similar. Um, they had some similar personality uh, and also just um, they were just such a big part of my life. And I, you know, I think that we we get further along the path. I had, you know, I had divorced long ago, but there's always like maybe a little unresolved pockets that we hadn't completely healed or really, or even realized that, that we're still needing to be healed. And I think that my dad just brought that, that loss of, of my marriage to the forefront again. And so it's kind of like I, I was doing a little bit of grieving for both after my dad died and that wasn't necessarily a bad thing. I, right. you know, I, 
yeah, I just feel like it helped me get further along the path of healing from my divorce as I was also grieving my dad's loss. You know, one thing that I've heard very often, which I've found to be true for myself, is that uh, I, I think of it like grief is a location inside of me. And, and when I have a new loss, it sort of opens up the grief place. Um, certainly, I I thought a lot about the loss of my wife when my parents uh, died and, and were dying. Um, it, it's kind of inextricable in some way the losses in your life sort of live together and then I'm I'm imagining that you uh, because you're a person who obviously is um, interested in growth as a result of experiences of course you you brought further healing to it but does that fit for you that idea that that maybe losses uh, live in a similar place inside of us absolutely I think Pretty much everyone has a pool of of losses. It could be the loss of a loved one. It could be a divorce. And also, you know, sometimes a loss of a job or a career. Um, pets. I mean, I, I have lost some pets that were just like family to me. And Absolutely. So we kind of just have a huge pool of grief that then becomes, comes up to the surface, you know, with a, with a new loss. Absolutely. And so then, uh, in the other direction, uh, how do you think these previous losses, especially of your dad, but other ones too, how are they informing the way that you handle things with your mom currently? Well, I definitely give every every uh, visit my attention and I am much more aware that when I leave, I should do all I can when I'm with my mom to make that the best possible goodbye in case it's the last one. And so I think that because my last encounter with my dad was was so hard on me, I'm just really careful that, you know, I don't just say, see you, mom, or I'll be back. Tuesday or something, I'm really, I pause for a moment and I hug her and, you know, we often say, I love you. And it's just much more purposeful and intentional um, when we part. And that's, that's some of it. And I I certainly don't take her time for granted. And um, because I know that she's in a very precarious situation. She has multiple heart issues, including congestive heart failure and she is on hospice, so very precarious, even though she's in a relative period of stability right now. It's, I never take any time I see her for granted. Hmm. So, you know, the, the kind of, uh, the way people in my world talk about um, consciousness of, of death sort of making us more present, it sounds as if that has certainly happened with your mom, that... Uh, it sort of fuels you to be very present with her and um, purposeful. Absolutely. And I, and I have, you know, intentional conversations as well. I, I bring up, I want to make absolutely sure I understand her wishes. So sometimes we will, you know, have some tough conversations about, you know, 
she, for example, she does not want to be resuscitated and things like that. And, and so, you know, we have progressive conversations just so that I feel like I don't have any ambiguity or question marks about how things, you know, how she would like things to be. And, and that feel, feels meaningful. My dad wasn't really able to talk about some of those things. I think the fear of death completely overwhelmed him and it was just too frightening and my mom is a courageous and, and amazing woman and she she has um, had some really um, really good conversations with me that have helped me to feel more prepared and know that I can I feel more confident that I can honor you know how she would like to be treated and cared for at the very end you know, that's actually a pretty big takeaway, I'd say, from your book, um, the the essential nature of, of having those tough conversations and how hard it is to do that if the person who's potentially in the process of dying, like your dad was, if they resist the conversation, how hard it is to force it. You, you actually can't, usually. Um, but I wonder if you have any thoughts on whether there was any way anyone could have got gotten your dad talking about how he wanted things to go. That's a really good question. I I wondered he did not have the opportunity to have hospice care, and I I kind of wondered if that. Um, service and, and, you know, the different support staff, the chaplain, the social worker, the nurse might have helped him in the end, but we didn't have that opportunity. Um, and he, and he might've even, um, refused hospice. So he was not, not overly open to, um, any of that sort of thing, but I am certainly grateful that, um, my mom is with hospice now. I feel like it's really helped us all to have her end of end of her life to be very quality oriented and and almost just providing bonus time with a lot of stress removed and knowing that that care is in place. It's given me the opportunity to be more of a daughter again. With my dad, before he died, I was just always managing everything and running around the facility, trying to talk to different staff about things and putting out fires about problems that he told me about. And I was just a manager of everything. And I felt like mm-hmm. I wasn't really able to be a daughter with him. And having hospice with my mom is allowed me to be more present and be able to to have that mother-daughter conversations and and not be just the caregiver and complete manager of everything. Uh, Yeah, I I really want to get a plug in here for um, my wish that we go in the direction of palliative care, people having palliative care. Uh, I know that that I have this idea that if I'm ever diagnosed with cancer or some other life-limiting illness, I'm calling that office ev- immediately because there, you know, their hospice is a subset of that. Um, but it just seems as if they're the only field that's really well trained for those conversations. Yes. 
Yeah, so I, I feel like um, it would be it would behoove everyone to, at a certain point to to go down that path and and focus on less curative treatment and more pain relief and, you know, getting someone comfortable so that they can say their goodbyes, so that they can have quality time with their loved ones and put their affairs in order. I'm a big fan and big advocate of of that. The thing is, uh, one thing I'm aware of uh, in aging is that often uh, the way that hospice is set up now um, people in decline due to aging, as a broad category, don't qualify because no one will be willing to say that they are likely to die within six months. No one can know. And I think that's a real complication in the system because obviously your dad needed that kind of guidance, but would he even have qualified I actually asked his doctor at one point if we could have hospice, and he told me, no, he doesn't qualify. And that was within six months of his passing. So, I mean, it, it's, it is. There are some, you know, when you have an incurable disease, such as cancer or, or in my mom's case, congestive heart failure, sometimes it's easier to qualify. But there's a lot of elderly people that are just having, you know, an overall decline and diminishing health and, and it is harder to get the doctor's order or approval from the insurance to qualify for hospice. Yeah. So I, I'm hoping that will change over time uh, because, of course, if people did have access to that kind of care, I think it would actually be a money saver because hospice and palliative care doctors are pretty good at recognizing the difference between a correctable and an uncorrectable situation. So that's my plug. <laughs> I, hope, oh, I, I totally hope that's agree. a change that, that's coming because um, it's, as we both know, that's such a helpful uh, perspective to have in the mix and such helpful services to have in the mix. You know, it's just about time for our second break, but uh, my general subject for the third segment here, Lisa, would be because half your book is really um, educational in terms of uh, how to look at, you know, end of life, uh, death, and and grief. And I wanted to frame it as a question, which is... um, what do you most wish that you had known with your dad that you didn't know? What would have helped you the most? Because I think there there are probably many, many listeners out there struggling with these same issues. So let's come back to that after the break. Uh, listeners, you can go to my website, weatherandgrief.com or the Good Grief Host page. To find my guest, Lisa Schultz, go to Lisa J. Schultz, S-H-U-L-T-Z, Back after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Ready to transform your health and your world? Join host Melissa Alexander for Insight Living with Vitality. Melissa and her guests go behind the scenes on what it takes for practitioners and clients to transform themselves and others. She provides insight to medical procedural breakthroughs, available product resources, and explains lifestyle choices designed to improve and expand your vitality. It's time to get rid of that baggage, remove those blockages, and prevent buildup from hindering your progress in life. Tune in every month. Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent, inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand. All from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I've been talking with Lisa Schultz, the author of A Chance to Say Goodbye. And, uh, before the break, I was saying I, I really wanted to spend some time talking about kind of what it would have helped you to know that you didn't know with your dad. Obviously, that inspired your book, uh, wanting other people to have the benefit of the things you learned uh, in trying to sort out what happened with him. Um, and so I thought maybe we could give listeners a little bit of a head start, <laughs> you know, Um what what kinds of things would have helped you the most, do you think, in navigating uh, the end of your father's life that, that you didn't know at the time? Well, I think we're often in the dark about the dying stage. Unless you're in a medical profession or have been with somebody uh, in their last, say, week or so of, of life, you know, 
I hadn't been in those circumstances and I didn't know what the definitive physical, for example, changes of death looked like. And with my and, and after he died I read about it and I'm like, Oh my goodness, that makes sense because three days before he was dying, for example, um, he the nurse called me. I had gone home where my sister had visited and my the nurse called me from the facility that he was at and told me that he was having incredible irregularities in his heart rate and his blood pressure and it was just up and it was down and all of this sort of thing and I didn't know that that is a huge end-of-life indicator Um, and the nurse didn't say to me, you know, this is quite serious, this may indicate that your dad is close to past passing, none of that was given to me and I hadn't read anything about it or been educated about that. And, you know, in retrospect, I wish that I had done a little bit of studying or that a healthcare provider would have spent a little time teaching me about or telling me about some of those stages because that would have affected my decision to perhaps drive to see him sooner. And there was just a lot of miscommunication and lack of education that I don't think served me well or served my dad well because he didn't have a chance to say goodbye either. So it was sure. both myself and him. Uh, that's interesting, too, because um, I, I've thought a lot about how to identify the moment, you know, there's... Uh, there's a lot out there about the fact that as we age, uh, that you know, more and more problems arise, many of them fixable, <laughs> you know, or influenceable. And so we just, you know, try to keep getting well over and over again. And then identifying when actually we're going in the other direction is very difficult. And that's partly what you're talking about. Those things could have been in- indicators that this was no longer a uh, a problem to be solved, but uh, he was heading towards, uh, towards death instead of trying to head away from it. Yes? Yes. I mean, they were huge signs that, was a missed opportunity for for me to get there sooner, for him and I to have that chance to have our last encounter to be positive, for him to be able to perhaps call up relatives, my, my brothers out of state, and talk to them. And there was just a lot of missed opportunities because he was fully speaking and, and lucid, um, you know, before he died. Um, he had the chance. He would, he could have had conversations with any of us, um, if, but that yeah. educational piece was gone for all mm-hmm. of us. Yeah, you mentioned, I think, Barbara Karn's book, uh, Gone from My Sight, I believe, is the one that's about the dying process that's, that's quite good in just describing. Um, you know, I remember relatives were trying to... Uh, get my mom to eat when she was actually in that process already of, you know, no appetite and all that. And her comment about it was, I'm not, vi- I'm not visiting with them anymore. <laughs> you know, she was very clear. She, she didn't want to be pushed to eat. Uh, and, and I knew not to because I'd been through it, you know, but um, it is something we really uh, 
need more education about just what happens for a person at that stage, huh? Absolutely. And, you know, I advocate read it before you need it. You know, I I'm, I hope people will read my book before they need it, not in a crisis situation, because if you wait too long, you're in such a state of stress or your loved one's in the emergency room or an ICU, and then you're not really in a state of being able to go buy a book and, and read it and understand what's going on as well. And and I know a lot of people don't want to read ahead of time to prepare for something, but I'm a, I'm a big fan and, and advocate, whether it's my book or many other books that I, I list in my resource section uh, at the end of my book, there's a lot of excellent books out there that can really help us get prepared well ahead of time so that we have the maximum opportunity for saying our goodbyes or saying I love you or forgiveness or any number of really important things that can tra- that can go between someone um, that, you know, helps, helps lessen the regrets, helps lessen the turmoil after death and, mm. and perhaps even eases the grieving process. And perhaps makes it, I, I know with my, with my wife, because we had hospice for so long, she kept being eligible but not dying. Uh, and so we were extremely well educated by the time she did, in fact, die. And so um, I didn't find her death traumatic because it wasn't shocking. It, it just was kind of what I thought death would, it was actually much, much more uh, than, it was more positive than I expected for sure. But I think that's because I wasn't traumatized. I was kind of um, educated. And uh, that can be a big help. Absolutely. I mean, I I already know and, and, and sense and feel that when my mom passes that I will, it'll be a completely different experience. I don't know how that's going to look. Yeah, but I am at much more peace now um, with that on the horizon than I was with my dad. And, and some of that's the experience and, and some of the things that I've learned since his passing. But I, you know, it, it it's it's a tough time when you see someone gradually die. And my mom is congestive heart failure is a very, can be a very slow death as the heart just you know, it gets a little weaker, a little weaker, and a little weaker over time. Yes. And so it, it's hard, but I, I feel like I've done everything I can to make her eventual passing perhaps a, a good death. I was recently talking with someone about... Um, a, a recent guest about the idea of good death and we were trying to nail it down what we meant by that <laughs> and we both decided decided that for bo- it, at least the two of us it was something like this present to what is <laughs> you know um, absolutely uh, you can't decide exactly how it's going to go but you can be present to what is and I, th- I think I hear that in what you're saying um, the other thing I didn't want to get away without just mentioning is the amount of of change in how you relate to your own death you did as a result, like uh, getting 
all your affairs in order, weeding things out, getting rid of things you didn't need anymore. You know, that that seems to have been a, a very um, major focus for you after you've finished dealing with your dad's stuff. Oh, absolutely. I, I feel like I fear death, death far less now. I am willing to look at it. I'm willing to plan. I'm, you know, I'm willing to look at my, say, my home and, and decide to downsize and get rid of clutter and extra stuff and, um, you know, and, and not looking at that in a, in a down, depressing sort of way, but actually it gives me more energy and exhilaration so that I can really enjoy the end of my, or the rest of my life, I should say, because I'm less encumbered by more things than I need, more house than I, you know, really need to have at this point, and, and just, I, I really just believe that when you, when you, look at death and realize that it can be a gift in a way because it, it can reduce your fear and give you more peace of mind when you put things in place that give order to the rest of your life and lessen the burden that you might leave behind. It can really free up kind of a, a, a very satisfying and exhilarating final, say, third of your life. Mm. Um, I guess fortunate to... To, to know that or to realize that when there's a third of your life left, huh? <laughs> That's... <laughs> right. I don't take any, you know, I don't take any of it for granted. We never know that we are going to live into old age anyhow. No, that's, so, that's, again, like, don't I know, having lost so many people young, um, that's not a guarantee whatsoever, is it? Uh, no, I mean, sudden death can happen to any of us and... You know, we all met, we've all heard we should seize the day and and you know be as present as we can with everyone we encounter every day. But I, I think that the blessing with with looking at death or having a, a, an impending death of somebody that you love is it just brings all of that to the forefront and and it can be you know it can be a blessing even if it's you know if there's grief and, and sadness. Well, I think you captured it. Uh, we won't quite have time for the whole reading, but I think you captured it in a reading about grief that it's unexpected and comes up in weird moments. But the last, uh, the last sentence you were um, on the on the Missouri that we were talking about earlier, and um, it, and remembering your dad jitterbugging to in the mood and. You jitterbugged yourself accompanied by wet tears. I love that, yes. <laughs> wet tears are our friend. <laughs> yeah, and it's okay to shed them. I mean, we... It's okay we to... We've, oh, who could, who could really hold them back forever? I want to thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you. And, and I hope people will go look for your book at lisajschultz.com, S-H-U-L-T-Z.com. Next week, I'll have Nora Casey. Her widely viewed TED Talk, The Cure for Grief, chronicles what Nora learned after her husband's death shortly after a cancer diagnosis. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. 
Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.